We're closing it out uh, uh, today, uh, this month, uh, talking about Thanksgiving. So I'm going to be talking to you on Thanksgiving. Psalms 100, a psalm of thanksgiving or gratitude. We read the whole psalm. It's a short psalm. It only has five verses. I'm reading from the King James Version Bible, and we'll keep on referring to that. Verse 1, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. It's going to ring amen. You must do what the verse say. At least least the the weather is better. In the morning it was cloudy and so were the congregants. They were cloudy and moody and moony. So look at your neighbor and say, don't behave like the congregants in the first service. Don't be cloudy and moony and sad. All right, let me read that again. I'm trying it again. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All ye land. Verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us. And not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And it tells us the reason why we must do all those things. It says, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all the generations. Tell two people, three people, the Lord is good. Just tell them for me. The book of Psalms, I believe, is still one of the irreplaceable devotional guides. If you really want to spend time in the presence of God, The book of Psalms is just one of those books that can guide you through that. It's it's, it's a prayer book. It's It's a hymnal of the people of God. In fact, for those of you who know denominational churches who come from that background like I do, we know many of the songs that we sang there were actually derived from the book of Psalms. The Hebrew title there for Psalms is actually Tehillim. And Tehillim actually means praises. So rightfully speaking, the book of Psalms, we should call it the book of praises. The Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint version, uses the word Psalmos, P-S-A-L-M-O-S, instead of Tehillim. And that word psalmos is an interesting word. It means a song sung to the accompaniment of stringed instruments. So, you know, what we find in the book of Psalms, it is praises that were sung to God with music accompanying it. When you read somewhere, you even hear David talking about not only playing to God, but playing with skill. And when you read the book of Psalms, you are absorbed into that. And so, this book of Psalms, with all the chapters that we read, was actually written by different people, not by David alone. 
David, of course, leads the way in that he wrote 73 psalms. Why? Because David was Israel's beloved singer of songs. I just love the way David changed the phase of worship and the practice of worship, even when he went to a point of building a house for God. It was David who actually brought singers and organized temple ministry and song in the song, brought singers into the house of God. You know, it was so different to the way people worshiped. You know, just like what happens today when people talk about worshiping God, somehow those days they just come into the presence of God and they just put on a long face. And they just become sad and, and people would go through the motions of all the rituals and all the, you know, the, all the observances and the liturgy that had no life in it. You know, it was like a people who were really not enjoying what they're doing. But David came and, and he gives this different picture that, you know, when you come into God's presence, you need to sing uh, songs and, and don't just sing anything, sing with skill. Play with skill, play with passion. And do it with joy. So David wrote 73 of those psalms and it comes through in his writings. But also the sons of Korah, who served as musicians in the temple, they wrote 11 psalms. And then a man by the name of Asaph wrote 12 psalms. King Solomon wrote two psalms. Ethan wrote one psalm. And Moses, by the way, wrote Psalms chapter 90. Only one psalm. However, all the scholars agree that equal value is to be given to these psalms. What is their value? Well, when you read the Bible, particularly the New Testament, there was a common reference made to the book of Psalms. In fact, there are over 400 quotations or allusions to Psalms in the New Testament. Jesus, our Lord, quoted from the book of Psalms himself. And then when the Apostles needed to make a decision about the replacement of Judas in Acts chapter 1. They went back to Psalm 69 to talk about what David had said that may his ministry be taken, may another occupy his office. So they made a reference to the book of Psalms. The early church as well, they used the book of Psalms in preaching. We see on the day of Pentecost, as Peter was preaching to his countrymen in Acts chapter 2, in verse 31, he actually preaches from the book of Psalms. But also we find that when encouragement was given in times of persecution, as we find in Acts chapter 4, they quoted from the book of Psalms. You know, like, why did the Hegeans rage? Why did the people imagine vain things? So, you know, they would always quote from the book of Psalms. Not only that, in the book of Ephesians 5, 19 and Colossians 3, 16, we are told that we must come to God and we must sing, sing hymns and spiritual songs. And it's a, it's a reference to us using and singing selected psalms as a way of worship to God. It's really interesting to know that really psalms should be part of our worship today as the church. We should be composing music from the book of psalms. It's interesting as well and very helpful when you study the Bible to look at the Bible from the viewpoint of the book of Psalms. The psalmist talk about creation in chapter 8. He talks about the flood in chapter 29. He talks about the patriarchs in chapter 47. The psalmist talks about the life of Joseph in Psalms 105. He talks about the exodus in Psalms 114. 
He talks about the, the experience of the children of Israel in the wilderness in Psalm 68, and he talks about the captivity in Psalms 85. So primarily, the Psalms sum up so many things. But when you really look closer, the Psalms are about God and his relationship to his creation. God and his relationship with the nations of the world, with Israel, and most of all, God and his relationship with his believing people. Through the eyes of the book of Psalms, God is portrayed as a powerful God, but at the same time, a tender-hearted father. He's, we see him as a God who keeps his promises and a God who lovingly cares for his people. Really, it's in the Psalms where we, we, we also, it also reveals the hearts of those who followed God. Because in the book of Psalms, they talk about their faith, they talk about their doubts, they talk about their victories, they, they talk about their failures. They talk about their hope for the glorious future that God had promised. It's in the book of Psalms that we meet all kinds of people in a variety of circumstances. Some of them, when you read about in the book of Psalms, they are crying out to God. Some are praising God. Some are confessing their sins. Some are seeking to worship God in a deeper way. It's in the book of Psalms where you meet the God of creation and you learn spiritual truth from creation. It's in the book of Psalms where the book of Psalms teaches us about creation from the birds that we read about, the beasts we read about, the mountains and the desert, the sunshines and the storms, the wheat and the chaff, the trees and the flowers. We learn from the creatures of all sorts in the book of Psalms. It talks about horses, mules, dogs, snails, locusts, bees, lions, snakes, sheep, even worms. Because the book of Psalms seeks to teach us to seek God with all our hearts and, and to tell him the truth that when we worship him, we mustn't have a worship that's a put on. But when we worship him, we are truthful and we tell God everything. And we don't worship him because of what he does for us, but we worship him because of who he is. Not just because he gives the book of Psalms shows us to accept trials and turn them into triumphs. And that when we have failed, they show us how to repent and to receive God's gracious forgiveness. Psalms 50. David, when he had sinned and he, 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 he had killed somebody and, and he comes to God and he says, God, I've sinned. Psalms 51. And talks about how he's asking God, even if I've sinned, please, of everything, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. And so in the book of Psalms, it describes a God, and I'm going to use two big words, and I'll explain them. It describes these two sides of God, a God who is both transcendent and a God who is immanent. And that is, he's transcendent, he's far above us. And yet, even if he's far above us, he's transcendent, he's immanent, yet he is personally with us in our journey. Oh my goodness. In the book of Psalms, we read about this God who is the, the most high God, but at the same time, he is Emmanuel, God with us. And so, the book of Psalms is such a powerful, powerful books that we can read. And so, Psalms 100, if you look at some of your Bibles, you'll note it's given the title as Psalm of Praise. Because that's what that Psalm 100 is about. In fact, more accurately, it should be a psalm of thanksgiving. Because it is in this psalm that David gives thanksgiving to God. 
He starts uh, by, by, by telling us how we must thank God. And then in verse 4, he says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. And we see the word thanksgiving and the word praise. And he says, be thankful unto him. Literally, it means make a confession, give a thanksgiving. He says, in this case, you speak, you confess God's infinite excellency. But then he says, by the way, you can never ever, your praise can never exceed your reality. You can never praise God more than you've experienced him. So the extent to which you praise, the extent to which you are loud, the extent to which you are engaged in it, is the extent to which God has come through for you. You see, that's why you can't praise for me and I cannot praise for you because my experience is not your experience and your experience is not my experience. Can I hear an amen in this house? He says, praise him. Praise him. Praise him to the extent that you've experienced him. Praise him and don't hold back. Francis Schaeffer once said, and I quote, the beginning of man's rebellion against God was and is the lack of a thankful heart. Close quote. And so here in Psalms 100, we are given an admonition to thank the Lord for who he is and thank the Lord for what he has done. (laughs) We are told how to thank him. We are told when to thank him. We are told where to thank him. And so I want us to journey through this purchase and I want us to draw some practical applications that we can put into practice in our own lives. Only five verses. Verse number one, it says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye land. So number one, God is worthy of praise. God is worthy of your praise. One translation says, shout triumphantly to the Lord all the earth. Kaufman Kochler states that in the Jewish encyclopedia, that there is no language that has as many words for joy and rejoicing as does the Hebrew language. It says here, when you read, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. In fact, it says, in the Old Testament, there are 13 Hebrew root words for joy. And you find them in 27 different words. And all these 27 words that are used primarily for some aspect of joy or joyful participation in religious worship. So they're trying to tell us that as we come to worship God, it should be a joyful experience, not a mungo experience. I don't know about you, not growing up, Barcelona. That's just what I learned in church. You know, I mean, if if you went to church and you were smiling and you were happy, and you are joyful, the minute you walk in church, because you are in church, you must lose all that. And even when they pray, (laughs) and you see them change their face and change their expression. And it was like, you can't be joyful in church. But what David is saying is that, listen, you don't need to be mungu. You look at your neighbor who's looking mungu next to you and say, you don't need to look like that. Here David is contrasting the rituals. Usually when it comes to faith and belief in God or service to God, very often when people come to worship God, whoever they call him, all of these rituals, there's no joy whatsoever. 
It's usually observances and processes and procedures and liturgy and everything. Nobody has a smile on their face. Nobody feels anything on the inside. And in contrast to this, David says, you've got to come to God. Essentially, when you worship, you've got to make a joyous proclamation. Some of you, you need to tell your feet when you come to church. Feet, you've got to dance in the presence of God. Some of you, you need to tell your hands when you come to church. Hands, you need to clap to God and raise, you, and raise yourself to God. Some of you, you need to tell your voice. Voice, you need to shout aloud when you come to God. Can I hear an amen in the house? Some of you dignified ones, you need to tell your dignity. Dignity aside, I've come to praise God with a joyful noise. Can I hear an amen in the house? This psalm says we need to make the act of thanking God as a supreme joy of our life. I get a little joy. little joy. And it's only December, by the way. Pure joy is joy in God. Both as our source and our objects. David says in Psalm 16, verse 11, you reveal the path of life to me. And in your presence is fullness of joy. Some Christians say, well, I've got joy. And you look at their face, you say, but it doesn't, it doesn't show that. He says, no, I've got it in my heart. And I say, maybe you must tell your heart to inform your face that there's some joy in there. <laughs> some of you, your, 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 your face has not been communicating with your heart for a long time. Hear the story of a young guy who went around looking for beer bottles. It was this time of the year. He was looking for bujuala, the bottle of bujuala, you know. So he was knocking on doors, and when people open, do you have any beer bottles, any wine bottles, any alcohol bottles, any, any? So he comes to this house of this very religious person, knocks on the door, and the religious person opens the door with that stern look. The boy looks at him, and he says, can I have some beer bottles, wine bottles? And this person, my God, you young man, who do you think I am? With a long face. I don't keep those type of bottles in my house. And the boy said, in that case, do you have some vinegar bottles in there? (laughs) Some of you need to explain to your neighbor what that means. They need to get a revelation. We are to express our gratitude to the Lord in an audible and public manner. It says, make a joyful noise. The word noise means to break forth with or to burst. It sends the imagery of someone who is so full of an emotion that they're unable to contain themselves, just like your team has just scored a goal. I happen to be watching, you know, recently some of the matches from this year, the derbies in particular. And you see when, when people's teams score a goal. I mean, from people in their suites to the wonka wonka excess strong section. Everybody behaves like crazy when their team has got a goal. I mean, during the World Cup, I went there. You know, I, I had a privilege sometimes to be who told them how, you know, they give you a ticket to go to the suite, you know. You know, so I'm sitting there with all these powerful executives. They're all well behaved. Until Bafana Bafana scored. Hey! And all of a sudden, they were off their seats and they were running down the stairs and going up the stairs. And, and, and. See, nobody can dictate to you how you must respond. When something magnanimous has just happened. 
I hope some of you in 2019, you are going to tell your feet, we are going to the front, we are going to praise God. We are going to lift your hands. If your neighbor is getting irritated, Lord, I am sorry, but you cannot praise God for me. Can I hear an amen? says, make a joyful noise. I used to have a problem, you know, as a, as a believer, as I came among Pentecostal people and, and it was too noisy for me. Like maybe some of you, this church is too noisy for you. I feel you. Because <laughs> now in my background, where I was raised in my religion, you know, it's like when you are in church, you know, that's why they always put a sign outside, says, Sterte Kerk. I mean, that's the way I see. Be still, there's a church. Hey, now we're causing a lot of noise. I'm sure our neighbors here, they're saying, hey, the noise pollution. This kerk is not still. We, 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 we have more powerful stuff. But you know, I, I remember because when I came among charismatic Pentecostal people, there was a problem for you because my background, we always... And it was all a rehearsed. You know, you can say that and put meaning, but to us, it was just a rehearsed ritual. No joy. Then I come among charismatic people and I'm sitting next to them and now somebody goes, Amen! And I'm thinking, Hey, what? Hey! And then they stand up and they raise hands. And then they, we start singing and they start raising hands. And I'm thinking, no way. I'm not raising my hands. Like some of you. <laughs> I'm not raising my hands. And then I, I learned that the Bible says we worship by raising hands. Raising up holy hands without doubt or wrath. And I remember the first time I raised my hands, I felt like I'm the only person in the whole crowd who has his hands. It was so hard to be free to worship my God. It was so hard to be liberated to express fully how I felt about God. But when I went to the soccer stadium, I was such a different creature. David says, I'm going to shout to God. And I'm going to raise my hands to God. Can I hear an amen? See, when you see these people express emotion, they are enthusiastic. They get excited. Do you know the history of the word enthusiasm? When you say somebody is enthused, do you know where the word enthusiasm comes from? It's from a Greek, it's a Greek word. You know what it means? To be possessed by God. Some of you I can see, God hasn't possessed you yet. You are still too nice, still too proper. But from today, you're going to be enthusiastic about God. Number two, he says, serve the Lord with gladness. <laughs> Come before his presence with singing. So number two, God is worthy of service. God is worthy of service. Service to the Lord implies three things. A, it means humility. You can't serve someone unless you have a humble attitude. 
B, it means fidelity. In other words, service implies faithfulness. Otherwise, it would not be service. It would be betrayal. Serve God with humility, with fidelity. C, it means activity. You can't serve someone if you don't do anything. Watch this now. When he says serve the Lord, serve the Lord, he's talking to all of us. Serving God is not confined to being in full-time ministry. In this church, we give opportunity for people to serve God. Believe it or not, the guys behind the cameras, they are serving God. Believe it or not, the people who helped you with your parking, they are serving the Lord. That's why we're giving our young people an opportunity for gap year to serve the Lord. So God wants us to serve him because how we serve him is an indication of what we are becoming. The more you grow, the more you become is the more you want to serve God. In fact, in Deuteronomy 28, God told the people, You are cursed if you do not serve the Lord with joyfulness and gladness of heart. So God says, serve me, but do it with joy. Do it with gladness. Oftentimes people serve God, but they are not glad and they are not joyful about it. You know, one of the things I noticed when I was a young preacher, you know, when people heard Urkimurut, immediately they would become so sad and say, shame. (laughs) Yeah, serious, they say, they say, what do you want to do for a living? I said, I'm an exuberant and I said, I'm going to go to the house. Oh. And the next word is shame. And I was wondering, why shame me? I'm happy. Hey. Yeah, and I've always, I've always enjoyed serving God. And I've never regretted once. I have never felt like I'm losing anything. Shame. Shame me. Me, I'm happy. It's about time for those of you who are serving God to do it with joy. Oh, yeah. I was watching our young people and the team that we went to Kobushbak Ridge. With the tent being blown away and torn, the rain coming down and everything working out the way it worked, they were still full of joy. Oh, yeah. They were not sleeping in five-star accommodation. They were not eating five-course meals. Whatever was there, they were joyful. And I want to make that popular. That we are joyful about serving God. We don't, we don't, we don't apologize. Yeah. No, no. When I, if you think it's abuse, it's up to you. Marana, I am full of joy. It's all right. I, I, I'm serving God. Even if I don't get paid extra, it's all right. We need to serve God with gladness. Can I hear an amen in the house? <laughs> Can I hear an amen in your heart? Unfortunately, some people serve God out of greed. These are the ones who serve God for what they can get out of him in return. Anybody who serves God like this is destined to unhappiness. Because even when you get physical things and earthly things, they will never be able to meet your spiritual needs. If your treasure is earthly things, and instead you don't have any spiritual needs that you are after, you will never ever be satisfied serving God. 
Instead, the more you seek happiness, the further away you will be driven from God. It's almost like drinking when you are very thirsty and you run to go and drink salty water. So even if you are drinking water, the salt makes you even more thirsty. However, there are others who serve God with a grudge. These are the ones who say, why do I have to do this? Why? Some of you, you may be married to somebody whom God has called into the ministry. One of the things I've seen as a pastor that has been the most difficult is couples who are not compatible when it comes to that. Yeah. One wants to work for God, the other one, you know, again. Because I tell you, serving God takes you all. I'm telling you. And it's very painful. And I advise young people, those of you also young, if you are called into the ministry, make sure understands and they're in agreement. There are people who love you, Mara, they don't like the God that you are serving, the extent to which you are serving him. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Basalan, there are people, there are people who love, there are people who, just, who love to just give so much to God. They don't want to go, go beyond that. And I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying that's where they are. To them, just coming to church once a year is, is, their, is their set point of spirituality. That's how we are going to prayer meeting, we are going to conferencing, we are going to kairosi, we are going to pray long prayer meeting. But again, they are okay with you, oh, nice, you are a nice guy. You are a nice girl, Marathe, Tiring Abadikin. As long as you are not going to be able to do it, you are going to be able to do it. You just want to say, yeah, right. So it's a problem if you are not going to be able to do it. It's a problem. Because you don't have much to talk about. Black Friday. Or whatever. No compatibility. So there are people who serve God out of a grudge. And can I advise you parents, if God calls your children into ministry, and genuinely God has called your children into ministry, don't have the pride to say, I'm not, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I think there's people in here who need to hear what I'm saying right now. Because I didn't say this in the first service. I see parents, when God calls their children into ministry, they raise such an issue. Now, I'm not saying children doesn't finish school, they need to. But if God called your child into ministry, be thankful. My parents had to struggle. My parents had to struggle with that decision. Because just after matric, I wanted to go to Bible school. Yeah. Every parent, you want your child to be an engineer. Or what about more actuarial sciences? You want them to be an astronaut. You know, how to robot about I've never understood the silliness of parents when your child is running after God and they're having an encounter with God 
In this world, there's no neutral. Either God gets your child or the devil gets your child. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And when your child is having an encounter with God and God is working in their, in their life, and try to stop them. Let them just go to God. Now God will sort out other things. We don't need to serve God out of a grudge. We are hoping we will have a lot of Because he's an astronaut. He's not a root. Everybody comes and says, Why do you want to go for it? Okay, okay, let's qualification. What's about him? Only gets a cooloy. I'm not going to go for it. You know, that's not nice as a parent. Don't serve God out of a grudge. And serve God out of a grudge. And serve God out. You see, people who honestly think they have paid their debt to God and that somehow God owes them something. They are blind to the blessing of God and how undeserving they are. In fact, all of us recall it as somebody more. John Maxwell says, and I quote, the instant we are born, we are already owing somebody nine months of rent. <laughs> and food that we got for Mahala. Yeah. You are already born, Uko Lord. We can never do enough, Bazalon, to say thank you to our Lord. While some serve God out of greed, some serve God out of a grudge, there are all those who serve God out of a grind. These people are serving God, Mara, there's no joy of salvation evident. Their service to God lacks passion, it lacks zeal. So we're to style, but we are to serve God with joy. Yeah. Serve God with joy. Whatever you do, serve God with joy. Serve God with gratitude. Number three. He says, know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us. And not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So number three, he alone is God. One translation says, acknowledge that Yahweh is God. No one else deserves our service like God does. He's God. No one else deserves priority in our lives like God does. He is God. God must be first in our lives. First before our career. First before our family. First before our children. First before our wife. First before our husband. First before our own desires. First before everything. God must be first. This is our motivation. He's first. And that's why it motivates me to serve with gladness. This is what helps me to live with an attitude of gratitude because the one that I serve is God. Then it says he made us. Ah. 
He says, serve him. He made us. Know you that he is God. He has made us. Can I have that scripture on the screen, please? Know that he is God. He has made us. No, the King James Version. Not that one, please. <clears throat> he made us. We are his. In other words, I serve with the humility of knowing that God made me. And so we do better, so God made you. And so you shake us, so God has made you. Even whatever you are shaking, God gave it to you. Oh, yeah. We get a pause here. You are busy showing us how what a hunk you are. God made you hunk. Every breath in our lungs, we owe to God. All the blood that causes our vein, we owe it to God. The fact that you are sitting here with a sane mind, you owe it to God. The fact that you could get up this morning, you owe it to God. Can I hear an amen in the house? Can I hear an amen in the house? I was watching a program where, you know, there's this uh, Murutu who does this program that talks about technology. And one of the clips they have there, they're showing how technology has advanced to help people who can walk to walk. And they have this young guy that they've strapped into this big mechanical thing and he's helping him walk and he's trying to walk. And when I was watching this guy trying to walk, it reminded me of one of our pastor's wife who went in for an operation. And, and the operation was quite an extensive one. And after the operation, they had to be taught how to walk. I won't talk about other things, but they had to be taught how to walk. And this person said, I think it took them six months to learn how to walk. Oh, yeah. You know that some people have had accidents, they go for physiotherapy. And if it takes you six months or eight months to be taught how to walk. See, when you just stand up and walk, you, you think you are clever. Yeah, you think, you're, you think it's easy just to stand up and walk, Jay. just stand up and walk. Huh? 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 What's any for? Show more. Huh? Yeah. If you think it's easy for Tavosho, you must become 60 years old. You know? I tell you. I We thank him because he is God and he made us. And therefore, we sell ourselves to him. And when we had sold ourselves to sin, he brought us back with the blood of his precious son. We have no claim. We have no right to our lives. We belong to him. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are his representatives on this earth. And as his sheep, we follow him when he leads us. As his sheep, we receive from him when he provides for us. As his sheep, we listen to him when he guides us. As his sheep, we snuggle up to him when he comforts us. As his sheep, we hide behind him when he protects us. As his sheep, we receive from him when he prospers us. Can you hear an amen? amen. He alone is the source of all our blessings. And that's why when we see the blessings, we don't forget where they come from. He is God. That's why we worship him. He is God. There's a Chinese proverb that says, when you drink from the stream, remember the spring. After Unwile, don't forget where the water comes from. Even if we have all these things, 
We remember his God. Can I hear an amen? Number four. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Keep that verse there on the back screen particularly. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You see, in the old Israel, they had to go to the temple where the Ark of the Covenant is to be able to enter into the presence of God because that's where he resided. But for us in the New Testament, God lives inside of us. God's presence is everywhere. And so the Bible tells us that as we get into a time of worship, whether it's at home, whether it's at church, whether it's in your car, wherever you are, do it and enter his gates with thanksgiving. Can I hear an amen? We cannot escape his presence. So our attitude should always be one of thanksgiving, one of praise. And the Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and it says, bless his name. Somebody say, bless his name. Say it again. How do we bless God? Because the word bless, normally the blessing is transferred from the greater to the lesser. How can we bless God? Because it's, it's us who go and ask blessings from God, just like Joseph wrestled with the angel and said, I'm, gonna let, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. Well, when they say we must bless God, they understand one thing, that the blessing comes upon our lives, gives us abundant living and effective living, but the source of that blessing can only come from God. So when we bless God, this is what we are doing. We know we can't give God anything greater, but we are also saying to God, we want you, God, to understand that we are acknowledging that what we have comes from you. That's how we bless God. It's a description or an expression of thanksgiving, a recognition that God, you are the sole source of my meaningful life. You are the source of all that I have. I'll bless you. When I get anything, I will remember you first. When I buy a car, I will put the name of God on it first. When I buy a house, I will put the name of God on it. When I get an award, when I get up to give a speech, I'm not going to thank my coach and thank my students and thank my, my lecturer rather and thank everybody else. I'm going to first start with you and I say I want to thank God, then everybody else can follow. Can I hear an amen in the house? I'm going to put you first. I'm going to make a public declaration of you being the source. And this is the thing that I want to do, God. I'm going to live with a heart of gratitude. See, if we don't live with hearts that are grateful, we are living with the deception that somebody else is responsible for where we are. Therefore, gratitude displayed is the evidence of a proper understanding of who God is. It's sad when people, you know, like I've said, you know, when I see people grow up in church or when I see people come to church and start to know God and and, and everything, and I'm not saying they must stay in our church necessarily, but as you meet them later, they are no longer serving God, they are somewhere else. In fact, they're starting to even question if God is there. 
Mfalme Bazalana ya tabu My heart gets torn in a thousand pieces because I remember when we prayed for them Some of them I remember when we sat down and gave them counsel I remember the counsel we gave was the word of God we opened God's word we said this is what God can do this is what God can do this is what God can do let us pray and the minute they got it said of blessing him they're not even sure about this God thing anymore yeah but we bless God because we know he is the source and finally it says for the Lord is God It says for the Lord is good his mercy is everlasting and true to all generation. The Lord is good. Somebody say the Lord is good. Lord. Say it again. This is why we praise God. We are told to enter his gates with thanksgiving, serving with gladness. He is good. So we praise him. He has mercy on us. His truth is without end. That's why we bless him. There's no one else that we can say this about. Yeah. One time the people came to Jesus and they said good master and Jesus said, "Oh, who do you call good? Only God is good." God is good. And his mercy endures forever. What am I saying? I want to make three simple suggestions that I think will help you gain and maintain an attitude of gratitude in your life to see God's goodness. Number one, take note. What do I mean? Live with awareness. Become aware. Open your eyes to the world around you. It will shock you. It will cause you to become grateful. Why? Because there are so many people around the world who don't have what you have. See what makes us not be grateful for us because we we don't even stop to 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 take note. This is why for me traveling the world has really affected me so much in my level of gratitude. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Number 2 and I'll come back to that. Take inventory of your blessing. There's a song old song we used to sing says count your blessings. When life tempests come your way and when you're discouraged thinking all is lost count your blessings it says name them one by one it will surprise you what the lord has done some of you have stopped counting your blessings in your life many years ago i had a friend of mine visit me from malawi and please i want to put it in context please i'm not saying all malawi is like that but where he came from my friend came from lelongwe best friend of mine sometime in the 80s he came and as I was going around in Soweto with him he came to preach in our church took him around then next thing he said from nowhere he just said to me and so why are you people complaining ho get what do you mean he says look at look at what you have i said look listen you you call these houses <laughs> you must go to the suburbs you'll see what the houses this is not houses he said but why are you complaining and i didn't understand what he was saying now please don't misunderstand me i'm not saying that we should have injustice be be perpetuated certainly we have to change things in this country and it's true but it's up until i traveled to malawi when i went to lilongwe as i got there i realized i understood the question he had asked me many years ago 
As I walked around and I looked, I realized that, yeah, I'm complaining. I'm complaining and here's a man I know filled with joy, filled with gratitude. Nakia complainer. And then one day, he then drove with me for five hours to another place. I don't even remember the name of the area, but we're driven for five hours, I remember. Finally got to this place. As we're driving everywhere, it was dry, nothing, no vegetation, nothing, just dry. Hey! And when you pass any, any place where people are, are living, there were no brick houses, mud houses, informal settlements. That's what it was. Finally, we come to this place. Five hours later, as we get there, it's blazing hot, 40 degrees, 42 degrees that day. It's just hot. We get out, and, and I look around, and, and I, I just can't take it. Because all it needs sometimes for you to go see something. I just couldn't take it. And, and then finally, I, I, I said, but how, how, how do the people here live? You can't farm in a place like this. It's dry. It's, it's, it's bad. He said, no, they work in town. I said, town, we, we've driven five hours. How do they get there? He said, by bus. By bus. He said, yes. There's a bus that passes here five in the morning. And it's the only bus. Yeah? If you got it, you got it. If you didn't got it, you didn't got it. <laughs> and it doesn't take five hours. It takes six hours, seven hours to get there. I said, what? He said, yeah. And they go work that far for pittance. And as I'm still in the state of shock, then a man comes out to greet us. 40-something degrees, he's wearing winter pajamas. Yes. Huh? I look at this man, I greet him, and he, and he says to me, my friend, he says, please meet my pastor. Pastor so and so. Hello. I greet him. I'm trying to process all this, so we do whatever, but my mind is messed up. My emotions are here. I just can't take what I've just seen. As we get into the car, I reflect on his question, why are you complaining? As we drive off, I said, uh, look, I'm not in a bad way, but your pastor there, I, had he just woken up? Why? Why the, why the pajamas? And, and winter pajamas, no harm. <laughs> he says that's all the clothes he has. Yeah. I tell you. As we got back to Lilongwe, as I was in the bedroom, I, I, I couldn't sleep that night. No. No. I thought, to think how much I complain. <clears throat> to think how much I don't have gratitude. And here it is, here's a man who's leading a church in the middle of nowhere. And when he shook my hand, he was beaming with joy. When I talked to him, he was talking about his plans to lead the church. God, here's a man who's serving you, nothing he has. Here I am, I've flown into Malawi. Here I am, I've got a suitcase full of clothes. I've got money in my pocket. But God, I'm complaining. Why? And I thought, if I take this suitcase home with me, through the biggest crime ever, 
And I went to my friend, Muruti Stephen Mbua, and I said, Steve, I can't take this bag with me. I couldn't leave it here. And as I came home, and as I got into the plane, as we flew into South Africa, as we were going to touch down, then it was called, can I name it on John Smarts? It was an OR Tambo. As we were coming for a touchdown, as I looked around, then I asked myself a question. Why am I complaining? Some of you, you're complaining. Can't even raise your hands in church and say thank you to God. Look at you. He's kept you this year. With all that the devil threw at you, you are still here today. Look at you. Some of you doctors had given you three months to live. Here you are. Twelve months later, you are still walking. Twelve months later, you are still breathing. Look at you. They planned against you. They skimmed against you. They talked against you. They took what you had. But look at you. You are still here today. Are you telling me you can't raise your hands and thank him? Are you telling me you can't raise your voice and thank him? Look at you. They never gave you a chance in life. They never thought you would become anything. Look at what God has done in your life. Look how God has raised you up. Look how God has anointed you. Look how God has kept you. Look how God has prospered you. Look how God has lifted you up. Look how God has made things in your life. And that's why we thank him. Like I told you, I can't thank him like you can. But I can only thank him from my reality. I can only thank him from the waters that he has brought me through. I can only thank him from the wars that he brought me through. I can only thank him from the defense that he has brought in my life. Why don't you give him praise today and thank him for what he has done? Thank you for breath in our lungs. Thank you for the life that you've given us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Why don't you raise your voice and raise your hands and thank him. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Maria Rabaseka Borosetor. Makata Talamarabalobo Sikatalabashia. Thank him, thank him, thank him. Thank him, thank him, thank him. Thank him. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. 
Know you that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us. And not we ourselves. We are His people. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Enter into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto God. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth. For all generations, you deserve the glory. God said, give it a higher key. Oh, Jesus, raise your hands. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Oh, you're ready. I love you, sir. Shatalamana mandore baba baba baba. Keramanonde rabase labaron. Kaya la 